Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Testing, testing. Still way too loud. Can get Jamie? Can you please come get Allie? Okay, let's try this again. You're listening to The Neurodivergent Nurse, and I'm your host, Jamie. I'm a registered nurse who has ADHD. On this podcast, we will talk all things ADHD. I'm really just beginning to learn about this diagnosis and how to navigate through it, but I am so excited to take you on this messy and raw journey with me so that we can learn together. So let's get started. Hello, my stunning neurodivergent family. I just want to take a second and welcome you back to another week of the Neurodivergent Nurse. Thank you so much for being a listener, and I'm so glad that you're here with me to talk about and to listen to the things that may make you go, oh, is that why? Is that normal? On today's episode, we're going to talk about something related to ADHD that has played a major part in my life. It has had so much to do with my job as a nurse. It has also had an impact over why I can no longer run and why my BMW Z4 had a massive dent and scratch up the side of my passenger side of the car as I was driving through the Baltimore Tunnel. On this week's episode, we're going to talk about ADHD and the issues with sleep. But before we get started, I need to tell you and recognize that there are two new patrons for the Neurodivergent Nurse. So shout out to Caitlin Sullivan. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the bonus episodes. And also another shout out to an avid runner just like I used to be. He used to be as well. Scotchy. I appreciate you guys and welcome to the Patreon family. I'm so happy that you're a part of it. This past week I put out an exclusive episode for the patrons about music and the ADHD brain and the effects and the positive results that you could potentially have with the use of music in your everyday life. As a nurse, I always loved night shift. I love sleeping during the day and waking up at three or four o'clock in the afternoon or in the evening and working throughout the night. I just felt like that made me such a tough person. And to be honest, it was really easy for me, but I felt so cool because other people were just amazed that I could go so long without sleep. And also, I used to be able to rally. I know that sounds pretty crazy and pretty wild, but at least once a week, I was up for 24 hours at the beginning of my three-night stretch as a nurse. We worked 12 to 14 hours roughly. And whenever I would have three nights in a row, which was very common, that was often what I preferred. On my third night, I would wake up probably about four o'clock in the afternoon, and then I would stay awake all night, obviously. But I was a travel nurse, and on that third night, I wanted to go out and to explore and things like that. So I would just stay awake till about 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, midnight, 
the following night. So it was not uncommon for me to be awake for 36, 38 hours at a time while I was awake for 24 hours several nights prior. It was just normal to me and I loved it so much. But I also felt like once I finally fell asleep and once I finally got to the point of exhaustion where I could no longer stay awake, Whenever I would wake up from my rest, I would feel like I went 10 rounds in a boxing match. I also said that day shift would never be for me as a nurse because my brain doesn't really start firing appropriately until about 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. And when I went to go get my diagnosis of ADHD and I met with a psychiatrist, the psychiatrist started talking to me and she literally said the exact times, hey, I bet you feel like your brain doesn't start functioning on full capacity until about 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. And at that time, I had switched to day shift. It was very difficult for me, but I have an hour and a half commute that would help me wake up. And I would always play a podcast that would make me think and really get the things jump started so that I could be safe and I could be great whenever I went into work. But how did the psychiatrist know my secret? How did the psychiatrist know The exact time that I have said for my entire adult life, the time that I would relay to the most intimate people in my life that I would trust with such information where normal, quote unquote, people would be able to function and people would be able to think and people would be able to do all the critical things in life and existence, but I somehow couldn't. How would the psychiatrist know that? Well, come to find out, It's actually a part of ADHD, or it can be. It's not for all people with ADHD. But if this sounds like you, tune in, because I have some tips that's gonna help you just like it's helped me. Per usual, I need to throw a disclaimer out there. While I say that I loved working night shift, it's still my preferred time of the shift to work. Let me tell you about a couple things that can happen, per my research, if you are a night shift worker. Again, I'm only a nurse, I'm not a doctor, and I'm just a nurse who's going through recently what ADHD means for me. And if you can relate to it, that's wonderful. I hope that it helps you. If not, okay, move along to the next episode. So first of all, if you work night shift, it interferes with your natural sleep rhythms. I don't know. I feel like my natural circadian rhythm is actually night shift, but sleep is extremely important for your overall health. So while you slumber, your body gets rid of toxins, it repairs injury, and it reduces stress. So working the night shift interferes with those essential processes, and that can lead to many disorders. Two, it increases the risk of breast cancer. Did you know? Women who work overnight are at much greater risk of contracting breast cancer than those who only work during the day. And it doesn't matter if you work the night shift consistently or just one night a week. Three, it also increases the risk of heart attack. A 2012 study in the British Medical Journal concluded that working the night shift caused a 7% increase in the likelihood that a person would suffer a heart attack. The study did not address why the risk was greater for those who work night shift, but researchers theorized that the change in sleep habits affect blood pressure and circulation. Four, it increases the risk of depression. Those of us with ADHD, we have to be very careful about the things that could increase the risk of depression with us. Working the night shift also has a negative impact on your mental health. 
Numerous studies show that the risk of depression and mood disorders increase when you work the night shift. Next is increases the risk of workplace injury. Working the night shift means that working against your body's natural inclination to turn off certain key functions like consciousness and mobility. You can certainly force yourself to stay awake and be mobile, but your body still wants to shut down. For me, between about 2 a.m. and 4 a.m., mm, it hits me pretty good. That leads to reduction in focus, attention, productivity, and fine motor skills. In certain jobs, when you're not able to get your work complete attention, the risk of injury increases dramatically. It also changes your metabolism. Your metabolism is mostly governed by your hormones. The hormone leptin, for example, plays a critical role in regulating your weight, your blood sugar, and your insulin levels. Working the night shift interferes with the production and circulation of this vital hormone. That can lead to the next set of disorders on the list that I'm about to tell you. The next one is, it increases the risk of obesity and diabetes. In the case of night shift workers, these disorders are caused by an imbalance in hormone production. The real danger here is that even if you eat a healthy diet, the hormone imbalance can still lead to obesity and diabetes. It also increases the risk of gastrointestinal problems. If you work the night shift for prolonged periods of time, all the effects that I just mentioned can accumulate and cause gastrointestinal problems like diarrhea as well as ulcers. That can compound the problems you already have and it can lead to more serious medical concerns. It also suppresses your melatonin. When you work the night shift, you're exposed to light during the hours of the day when your body expects it to be dark. This reversal of light and dark suppresses melatonin production and release. If you don't know, melatonin is responsible for controlling the sleep and wake cycles. This decrease in melatonin levels means that when you try to sleep during the day, you won't sleep deeply or you won't get enough sleep for your body to repair itself. As a result, you may suffer from long-term sleep deprivation, which is incredibly bad for your health. Last, that I'm going to mention at least, it deprives your body of essential vitamin D. Vitamin D is essential for your health. It assists with absorption of calcium and it also promotes bone growth. Too little vitamin D results in osteomalacia, which is like a mishappen in your bones. And that happens along with other hosts of disorders such as breast cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer, heart disease, depression, just like I mentioned. You can get vitamin D by eating foods like cheese, yogurt, tofu, even salmon, but you absorb the vast majority of vitamin D from sunlight. When you work the night shift and sleep during the day, your body doesn't get the vitamin D that it needs to function properly. If you don't work night shift, but you made it this far, I really appreciate you hanging on because if you still have sleep problems and you have ADHD, we're going to talk about that now. Adults with ADHD rarely fall asleep easily. They really sleep soundly through the night, and we really don't wake up feeling refreshed very often. But more often, ADHD's mental and physical restlessness disturbs a person's sleep patterns, and the ensuing exhaustion hurts overall health and treatment. This is widely accepted as true, but as with most of our knowledge about ADHD in adults, we're only beginning to understand the stronger link between ADHD and sleep. This creates difficulties in falling asleep, staying asleep, even waking up. 
Sleep disturbances caused by ADHD have been overlooked for a number of reasons. Sleep problems did not fit neatly into the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, requirement that all ADHD symptoms must present by age 7. Sleep disturbances associated with ADHD generally appear later in life, at least around age 12 on average. Consequently, the arbitrary age cutoff has prevented recognition of sleep disturbances in ADHD until recently, and that's when studies of adults have become more common. Just as ADHD does not go away at adolescence, it does not go away at night either. It continues to impair life functioning 24 hours a day. In early attempts to define the syndrome, sleep disturbances were briefly considered as a criterion for ADHD, but they were dropped from the symptoms list because evidence of them was thought to be too nonspecific. As research has expanded to include adults with ADHD, the causes and effects of sleeping disturbances have become more clear. For now, sleep problems tend to either be overlooked or to be viewed as coexisting problems with an unclear relationship to ADHD itself and to the mental fatigue so commonly reported by individuals with ADHD. Sleep disturbances have been incorrectly attributed to stimulant class medications that are often the first to be used to treat ADHD. As I said earlier, I had an issue with sleep. I still do. And this was long before being treated with stimulants for ADHD. I wasn't diagnosed until I was 36 years old. So what happened all the years prior? It certainly wasn't due to medication. Let's talk about the four big ADHD sleep problems. Now, I want to say... No scientific literature on sleep list, ADHD is a prominent cause of sleep disturbances. But as I'm telling you, a lot of us with ADHD, we do have issues with it. Most articles focus on sleep disturbance due to stimulant class medications, like I just said, rather than looking at ADHD as the cause. Yet, adults with ADHD know that the connection between their condition and sleep problem is very real. Sufferers call it, quote, perverse sleep. When they want to be asleep, they're awake. When they want to be awake, they're asleep. The four most common sleep disturbances associated with ADHD are, we're going to start with number one, difficulty falling asleep with ADHD. About three-fourths of all adults with ADHD report inability to shut off their minds so that they can sleep at night. Boy, can I relate to this. I have always said that whenever I lay down to sleep, I just can't turn it off. My mind is racing through all the things of the day. It is racing through all the things of potential tomorrow. It just, I couldn't sleep unless I was exhausted or unless there was something that I really needed to get done, then I could sleep like a champ. Many describe themselves as night owls, me again, who get a burst of energy whenever the sun goes down. Others report that they feel tired throughout the day, but as soon as their head hits the pillow, the mind, it clicks on. Their thoughts jump or bounce from one worry to another. Unfortunately, many of these adults describe their thoughts as racing, and that prompts a misdiagnosis of a mood disorder. 
when there's nothing more than the mental restlessness of ADHD. Prior to puberty, 10 to 15% of children with ADHD have trouble getting to sleep. This is twice the rate found in children and adolescents who do not have ADHD. This number dramatically increases with age. 50% of children with ADHD have difficulty falling asleep almost every night by the age 12 and a half. By age 30, more than 70% of adults with ADHD report that they spend more than one hour trying to fall asleep at night. More than one hour. I mean, one hour, to me, seems like a dream if I could fall asleep like that without medication. Okay, so the second issue that we have with sleep is restless sleep with ADHD. When individuals with ADHD finally fall asleep, our sleep is restless. We toss and we turn. We awaken at any noise in the house. We're also so fitful that bed partners often choose to sleep in a different bed. We often awake to find the bed torn apart and covers kicked onto the floor. Sleep for us is just not refreshing. And we awaken often just as tired as when we went to bed. Number three, difficulty waking up with ADHD. More than 80% of adults with ADHD report multiple awakening until about 4 a.m. Then we fall into the sleep of the dead, (laughs) from which we have extreme difficulty rousing ourselves. We sleep through two or three alarms, as well as attempts of family members to get us out of bed. ADHD sleepers are commonly irritable, even combative when we are roused before we're ready. Many of us say that we're not really alert until noon. Like I said, I was about 10 to 11 a.m. I have to say that when I was in high school, I knew the exact minute that I had to get up, the exact minute that I had to leave to get to school on time. Again, not not two seconds to spare. I knew that I had to be awake at 7 a.m. And my mom, if she would wake me up at, let's say, 6.57, I would tell her, I still have three minutes left to sleep. Come back and make sure I'm awake at 7 o'clock in three minutes. And somehow, I would sleep for another three minutes. And I would be so angry that someone woke me up before the time that I had to be awake. I valued every single minute that I got to sleep. Okay, the last one is intrusive sleep with ADHD. Paul Winder, MD, medical doctor, a 30-year veteran ADHD researcher, relates ADHD to interest-based performance. As long as a person with ADHD were interested in or they're challenged by what they're doing, we did not demonstrate symptoms of the disorder. This phenomenon is called hyperfocus by some and is often considered to be an ADHD pattern. If, on the other hand, an individual with ADHD loses interest in activity, his or her or their nervous system disengages. And then it searches for something more interesting. Sometimes this disengagement is so abrupt as to induce sudden extreme drowsiness, even to the point of falling asleep. This is what I was saying. Even when, let's say, studying for MCAT, oh, I get all of this surge of energy in the middle of the night. I love studying in the middle of the night when everything is quiet, when there's no disturbances, there's no disruptions. But when I get bored and I'm tired of studying, 
I am instantly tired. I used to laugh and say, I think that there's a carbon monoxide leak in my house because I can fall asleep in two seconds if there's something that needs to be done with inside my house. Marion Sigerson, PhD. I'm not sure if I said her last name right. So if I didn't, sorry guys. This individual is an, is an expert on EEG findings in ADHD. EEGs are something they put on people's head to monitor the brain activity, especially if it comes to potential seizures. Anyhow, this reports that brain wave tracings at this time show a sudden intrusion of theta waves into alpha and beta rhythms of alertness. We've all seen theta wave intrusion in the student in the back of the classroom who suddenly crashes to the floor having fall asleep. This was probably someone with ADHD who was losing consciousness due to boredom rather than falling asleep. This syndrome is life-threatening if it occurs while driving, obviously, and is often induced by long-distance driving on straight, monotonous roads. Often this condition is misdiagnosed as EEG-negative narcolepsy. The extent of incidence of intrusive sleep is not known because it occurs only under certain conditions that are hard to reproduce in a lab. So let's talk about why people with ADHD have problems sleeping. There are several theories about the causes of sleep disturbance in people with ADHD with a telling range of viewpoints. Physicians base their responses to the patient's complaints of sleep problems on how they interpret the cause of the disturbances. A physician who looks first for disturbances resulting from disorganized life patterns will treat problems in a different way than a physician who thinks of them as a manifestation of ADHD. Thomas Brown, PhD, long-term researcher in ADHD and developer of the Brown Scales, was one of the first to give serious attention to the problem of sleep in children and adolescents with ADHD. He sees sleep disturbances as indicative of problems of arousal and alertness in ADHD itself. Two to five symptoms cluster that emerge from the Brown scales involve activation and arousal. These include organizing and activating to begin work activities, and the second, sustaining alertness, energy, and effort. Brown views problems with sleep as developmentally based impairment of management function of the brain, particularly an impairment of the abilities to sustain and regulate arousal and alertness. Interestingly, he does not recommend treatments common to ADHD, but rather recommends a two-pronged approach that stresses better sleep hygiene and suppression of unwanted and inconvenient arousal states by using medications with sedative properties. My best friend is a physician and he recommended long ago, long ago as in maybe 10 years ago, I was in a bad accident because I fell asleep, drove off the side of a mountain, yada, yada, yada. Three years later, I was in the Baltimore tunnel driving home from working night shift after a really rough night at Johns Hopkins and I fell asleep. I fell asleep and I ran into the side of the tunnel, scratched up my BMW Z4 that I had at the time, dented the door, and for the next couple of years until I replaced it with the Mercedes, it just creaked every single time that it opened. But during that time, he recognized that it could be an issue that I wasn't sleeping well on the days that I had to work, even during the day, even though the hours that I slept, they were real and they were relevant, but that I may need to ask my physician about giving me something to help me sleep soundly 
and fully during the night. So with this, the simplest explanation is that sleep disturbances are direct manifestations of ADHD itself. True hyperactivity is extremely rare in women of any age. Most women experience the mental and physical restlessness of ADHD only when they're trying to shut down the arousal state of day-to-day functioning in order to fall asleep. At least 75% of adults of both genders report that their minds restlessly move from one concern to another for several hours until they finally fall asleep. Even then, they toss and turn, awaken frequently, and sometimes barely sleep at all. The fact that 80% of adults with ADHD eventually fall into the, quote, sleep of the dead, end quote, has led researchers to look for explanations. No single theory explains the severe impairment of the ability to rouse oneself into wakefulness. Some patients with ADHD report that they sleep well when they go camping or if they're outdoors for extended periods of time. One hypothesis is that the lack of an accurate circadian clock may also account for the difficulty that many with ADHD have in judging the passage of time. Our internal clocks are just not set. Consequently, we experience only two times, now and not now. Many of us with ADHD, we just don't wear watches. To be honest, I didn't until I became a nurse and I needed a watch to be able to keep up with respirations or to keep up with palpable pulses per minute. We experience time as an abstract concept. It's important to other people, but we just really don't understand it. It will take many more studies to establish the links between circadian rhythm and ADHD. Now, let's talk about how to get sleep with ADHD. No matter how a doctor explains sleep problems, the remedy usually involves something called sleep hygiene, which considers all the things that foster the initiation and maintenance of sleep. Before researching this, I have never heard of sleep hygiene. I heard of pulmonary hygiene, pulmonary toileting, all that as a nurse in order to help keep the lungs healthy when someone was intubated, but okay, let's dive into this. This set of conditions is highly individualized. Some people need absolute silence. Others need white noise, like a fan or a radio, so that they can mask the disturbances in order to sleep. Some people need a snack before bed, but some of us with ADHD can't eat anything right before bed. A few rules of sleep hygiene are universal. We need to use the bed only for sleep or sex, not as a place to confront problems or to argue. Number two, we need to have a set bedtime and a bedtime routine to stick to it rigorously. This is so painful for me. I'm sorry if it's painful for you as well, but maybe we can try it out so that we can be sure to have a better sleep schedule to have a better sleep time sleep regimen I don't know if it pays off let me know let me know if you try it and it benefits you I want to know these things okay and the third one which I've been doing since I've been diagnosed with ADHD and medicated the third one is to avoid naps during the day now there are two more elements of good sleep hygiene that seem obvious but they should be stressed for those of us with ADHD When we get into bed, we need to go to sleep. 
Many of us with ADHD are at our best at night. We're the most energetic, thinking the clearest, and we're the most stable after the sun goes down. The house is quiet. The distractions are low. This is our most productive time. Unfortunately, we have jobs and we have families and we have to attend to these people the next morning. Tasks make it harder by inadequate sleep. Okay, next. We really need to avoid caffeine late at night. Caffeine can cause a racing ADHD brain to grow more excitable and alert. Caffeine is also a diuretic. Although it's not as potent as experts once thought, it can cause sleep disruptions brought on by needing to go to the bathroom. It's a good strategy to avoid consuming any liquid shortly before bedtime. There are also treatment options for ADHD-related sleep problems. If an individual, me, you, if any of us spend our hours a night with thoughts bouncing and our bodies tossing, This is probably a manifestation of ADHD. The best treatment is a dose of stimulant class medication 45 minutes before bedtime. (sighs) Now, I'm going to talk to you about what I have researched about the treatment options for ADHD-related sleep problems. I am only relaying to the research that I have found. This is something that you should definitely talk to your psychiatrist, your PCP, anyone who deals with your ADHD mind, your brain, your beautiful, beautiful brain, and your issues with sleep. Talk to them about this. If you spend hours a night with thoughts bouncing and your body tossing, this is probably a manifestation of your ADHD. The best treatment is a dose of stimulant class medication 45 minutes before bedtime. I can't quite understand this, but again, something I've researched to talk about with your PCP because I'm only a nurse. I've only done research. This course of action, however, is a hard sell to people who suffer from difficulty sleeping. Consequently, once we have determined our optional dose of medication, they are often asked to take a nap an hour after they've taken the second dose. Generally, these people find that the medication's paradoxical effect of calming restlessness is sufficient to allow them to fall asleep. Most adults are so sleep deprived that a nap is usually successful. Once these people see themselves in a no-risk situation that the medications can help them shut off their brains and their bodies fall asleep, They're more willing to try medications at bedtime. About two-thirds of adult patients take a full dose of their ADHD medication every night to fall asleep. I have no idea what that's like. Me personally, I take my ADHD medications in the morning, and then at night I take five milligrams of Ambien if I have to work the next day. So what if the reverse clinical history is present? One-fourth of people with ADHD either don't have a sleep disturbance or they have ordinary difficulty falling asleep. Stimulant class medications at bedtime are not helpful for these people. Dr. Brown recommends Benadryl 25 to 50 milligrams about one hour before bed. 
Benadryl is an antihistamine sold without prescription and it's not habit forming. The downside is that it's long acting and it can cause sleepiness up to 60 hours in some individuals. About 10% of those with ADHD experience severe paradoxical agitation with Benadryl and they never want to try it again. My brother is one of those people, Benadryl makes him bounce off the walls. Me on the other hand, if I take Benadryl, a Tylenol PM, anything like that, I have what feels like the worst hangover for most of the next day. So this is definitely something that you should talk about with your PCP or whoever takes care of your ADHD and ask them if this would be appropriate if you're having trouble sleeping. Experts point out that sleep disturbances in some people diagnosed with ADHD are not always due to ADHD-related causes. Sometimes patients have a comorbid sleep disorder in addition to ADHD. Some professionals will order a sleep study so that their patients can determine the cause of the sleep disturbance. These tests are like home sleeping tests or where you actually have to go and sleep at a hospital or a sleep place to do a sleep study, they may be prescribed to you. If there are secondary sleep programs, doctors may use additional treatment options to manage sleep time challenges. The next step up the treatment ladder is prescription medications. This is what I was talking about just a little bit earlier. Most clinicians avoid sleeping pills because they are potentially habit-forming. People quickly develop tolerance to them and require ever-increasing doses. Now, in my personal experience, which is not yours, I'm just a nurse, I'm just a patient, I am not telling you what to do, and I, as always, encourage you to talk to your physicians to find out what is right for you. Now, I know that Ambien also known as Zolpidem. It is, I don't know if it's habit forming, but it is a CNS, central nervous system depressant. And if you take it regularly, that it, you do build up a tolerance to it. Now I have taken it since 2015 when I drove my car into the Baltimore tunnel and scratched it up. Very shortly after that, I started taking Ambien. I take it so rarely that I've never had to change from my five milligrams dose in the last six years. So as long as it's not a daily occurrence, then you could be good. Again, check with your doctor and find out. Just my personal story. So because people quickly develop tolerance to such medications and require ever-increasing doses, the next drugs of choice tend to be non-habit forming with significant sedation as a side effect. These medications include, we're going to start with melatonin. Melatonin is a naturally occurring peptide. It's released by the brain in response to the setting of the sun and has some function in setting the circadian clock. It is available without prescription at most pharmacies and health food stores. Again, Before you take anything, even over the counter, I say again and again and again, check with your PCP, make sure it's something that they approve of. Please, please do that. Even with melatonin, a lot of times it needs to get in your system first because it is a hormone. Typically, the dosage size should, typically the dosage sizes sold are too large, almost All of the published research on melatonin is on doses of one milligram or less. 
but the doses available on the shelves are either 3 or 6 milligrams. Nothing is gained by using doses greater than 1 milligram. Melatonin may not be affected the first night, like I just said. So, it may take several nights for it to be effective. The next one, not entirely sure how to pronounce. As a nurse, not entirely sure how to pronounce, so don't judge me too harshly. So, periactin, the prescription antihistamine, cyphroheptadine, which is the periactin, it works like Benadryl, but it has the added advantages of suppressing dreams and reversing stimulant-induced appetite suppression. The next one is clonidine. Some practitioners recommend in a 0.05 to 0.1 milligram dose one hour before bedtime. This medication is used for high blood pressure, and it is the drug of choice for hyperactivity component of ADHD. It exerts significant sedative effects for about four hours. If you have regular or low blood pressure, if your blood pressure is like mine and it's often 90 over 60 or 100 over 72, this may not be the medication. Or if they prescribe this medication to you and you know that your blood pressure is on the low side, it should be a question to ask if it's really appropriate. And there's nothing wrong with asking why they prescribe this one versus anything else. All right, the next medication. Antidepressant medications such as trazodone. Those are often 50 to 100 milligrams or Remeron which is 15 milligrams. These are used by some clinicians for the sedative side effects. Due to a complex mechanism of action, lower doses of mirtazapine are more sedative than higher ones. More is not better. Like Benadryl, these medications tend to produce sedation into the next day and make getting up the next morning way harder than it was before. Okay, since we knocked out the medication side of it now. Let's talk about problems waking up with ADHD. Problems in waking up and feeling fully alert can be approached in two ways. The simpler is a two alarm system. I don't I don't know who used a two alarm system. I use about a four four alarm system on my uh, mornings that I have to be up. My first clock goes off at 4 a.m. My second one goes off at 4:45. My third goes off at for 55 o'clock. I know I better have my tail out of bed. And then I also have one that goes off at 511 to give me a, you've got four minutes before you need to be in the car pulling out of the driveway. Well, that's just my alarm system. We're, we're going to talk about what an individual does when they set their first dose of uh, medication and alarm together. The patient sets a first dose of stimulant class medication and a glass of water by the bedside. An alarm is set to go off one hour before the person actually plans to get up. When the alarm rings, the individual rouses himself, herself, themselves enough to take the medication and they go back to sleep. When a second alarm goes off an hour later, the medication is approaching peak blood level, giving the individual a fighting chance to get out of bed and start their day. I think this sounds great. Something like I should try to use. Now, there's a second approach. And this approach is a bit more high-tech. And that's based on evidence that difficulty waking in the morning is a circadian rhythm problem. 
like me. Anecdotal evidence suggests that the use of sunset and sunrise stimulating lights can set the internal clocks of people with delayed sleep phase syndrome. Uh, I am thinking it's probably not going to work for me as I have blackout curtains. Probably something I need to look into. As an added benefit, many people report that they sharpen their sense of time and time management once their internal clock is set properly. The lights, however, are experimental and expensive. They're about 400 bucks. Disturbances of sleep with people with ADHD are common, but are almost completely ignored by our current diagnostic system and in ADHD research. These patterns become progressively worse with age. Recognition of sleep disturbances in ADHD has hampered by the misattribution of the difficulty falling asleep to the effects of stimulant class medications. We now recognize that sleep difficulties are associated with ADHD itself and that stimulant class medications are often the best treatment of sleep problems rather than the cause of them. If you're still listening, I appreciate you holding on for this long to this episode. It was kind of a doozy for a solo one. Let me know what you think. I always want to hear the things that you thought were helpful, the things that you thought were kind of baloney that I found. You can get in touch with me on my Instagram account, The Neurodivergent Nurse. You can also email me if you feel like it, theneurodivergentnurse at gmail.com. I want to hear back from you. So be sure to send me a direct message and let me know how this helps you if you try any of these things out. As always, I hope you have a great week and I can't wait to talk to you again.